in 2022, there has been a rise in insolvency by 57% compared to 2021, according to government's own data. Welcome to your Debt Talk podcast with me, your host, your debt doctor, Ripon Ray. The subject matter we are to speak about in this podcast is, and you may have guessed it, small business and insolvency. To navigate some of the challenges small businesses face and to provide you with some tips on Debt Talk, I have Robert Tame, who is an entrepreneur and had a small business which went insolvent. He later sold it with high profit margin. I have Anita Pickerskill, debt recovery and credit management uh, specialist at Thornbury Collection Service. She helps small businesses to get paid through debt recovery. And finally, Kate Ellis, who previously worked for Evershed's and PricewaterCooper, and she is an insolvency practitioner. She currently is a managing director of Ellis Breeze Business Recovery. For those who are listening to this podcast, I want to share your experience. You can get in touch with me on Debt Talk, on Twitter, your Dr. Debt, or email me direct, ripon.ray at yourdoctordebt.com. Speaking of this subject in this month, small businesses and insolvency. So now let me start with Robert. Robert, before we get to the trouble uh, with your business, tell us a bit about the types of business you used to run. Uh, well, thanks for inviting me, Ripon. And uh, yeah, good to be here. Um, it's a really important subject to be talking about. So hopefully I can pass uh, some of my experience on. Um, yeah, I mean, I started back in business way back in uh, 1990. Uh, had a very uh, fortunate first job. I worked at IPC magazines, known as the Ministry of Magazines. Um, and I was uh, started off marketing and I rose to great heights of publishing director. Uh, and I was publishing, sadly, now deceased magazines like New Musical Express, Melody Maker, Vox, Shoot, Loaded. Um, so yeah, it was um, it was a really busy time. Unfortunately, the internet uh, had a lot of those magazines, um, so they no longer exist. But yeah, it was a great um, start to my career. I, I was kind of a little bit allowed to be an entrepreneur, so I had a lot of latitude and leverage. Uh, I, I worked amongst a great team of people. Uh, we worked hard and, and we had some fun as well. Um, I finished there at the beginning of the noughties because I had a real desire to run my own business. Um, I, I'd studied business studies um, as a degree. Uh, and I think, you know, when you do that, yours or a lot of people have an ambition that, that they want to have a crack at running their own business. Um, and um, I, I went into a completely different sector. I went into restaurants uh, and hospitality. Um, uh, the reason why I'd invested in a friend's bar and restaurant uh, in Shoreditch and I saw how well that was doing and I saw it was an interesting time in food around that time um, 
beginning of the noughties, there was a, there was a lot of innovation and uh, it was a growth industry uh, and magazines weren't. Uh, and I had, yeah, I think I had a lot of transferable skills. Um, so, yeah, um, that's what I did. I set up a, a, a restaurant business eventually called, uh, initially called Fine Burger Company. And we opened our first restaurant in Muswell Hill in 2003. At what point you found yourself struggling financially? We were a pretty ambitious business. Um, I raised money for shareholders, for some friends um, and some contacts, as well as banks and also lease finance as well, because uh, the restaurant business is very capital intensive. So you, you need lots of money. Um so we got off to a pretty good start. Um, I thought I'd just be doing restaurants, but I actually launched an event catering business um, as well, two years in. And um, we really started hitting some financial issues um, kind of late 2007, early 2008 uh, was when we started, um, you know, cash flow was, was struggling. We'd done a couple of equity raises and that money had kind of run dry so when you say money uh was uh, running dry what role did the financial institutions play to make it worse for you when you're running a business cash is king um so if you've not got cash in your business um and you you stretch your overdrafts then eventually you know you 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 come to the conclusion that you can't pay your, your creditors, and, and that's when it, it clearly becomes serious and illegal if you do nothing about it. So um, I had a very good financial uh, guy um, who, who was freelance, but he, he was at the level of a financial director. Um, and we also had shareholder meetings every month where I'd present the accounts and we'd talk about cash flow. So we had good systems and it became clear that how things were turning out and the world was changing with, with, with the credit crunch that, that we were heading for some problems. So we were actually, we had a good relationship with our bank um, and I was encouraged to be, you know, we were encouraged to be uh, obviously very honest with them. We had a restaurant uh, on the market. It was in a good location. We knew we had a good chance of selling it and they, uh, agreed that they would continue to support us if they had the full proceeds of that sale. Um, we actually negotiated it that they had three quarters of the proceeds and we kept a quarter to, to you know, keep the cash kind of going through the business. If we worked on a plan um, and at that point we brought in some insolvency practitioners. Um, and the thing with the business ribbon, it was, it was failing in some areas but it had some really good areas as well. So we had at that point about nine fixed sites and some of those were profitable and others weren't. And the event catering business, which was a lot less capital intensive, was actually profitable. Um, so we were advised by the insolvency practitioners to look at taking the company into what's called a CVA, which is Company Voluntary Action. And without going into the full detail, you, you basically go to your creditors and say, listen, we're not going to be able to pay you in full, but we believe we can restructure this business, keep it going and make a payment to you. 
What the advantages are, if you have a lot of leaseholds, it does allow you to hand back leases to landlords, which landlords can get quite upset about that. And it is quite punitive on them. But uh, in our experience, it did allow us to save the business. Uh, uh, and we went on to, to make a success of it. So that's what we did. Uh, we also, so we highlighted, you have to write a very detailed report. The CVA has to go to your creditors. They have to vote on it. You have to get enough people to vote on it for it to be approved. Uh, we were fortunate that we did get it approved. Um, we also invested, and this was all detailed in the uh, CVA, we as shareholders also invested 200,000 uh, more capital into the business, uh, including myself. Uh, and, and I was, um, you yeah, know, I was up against it, if I'm honest. I, I, I had a um, personal guarantee around 200,000 at that time, and then I put another 50 in. Uh, some people said I was mad. I certainly felt a bit uh, nervous, but it, 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 it was the only way the shareholders were going to put more money in, as long as I put money in. Um, and then we had an agreement with the bank. Uh, we got put in special measures with the bank. So it's a bit like being put on the naughty step. Um, it's... Uh, not a great place for the pride and ego to be, but uh, we didn't have a choice. And in the end, they were very helpful. Um, and because we had, as I said earlier, we had a very good financial direction, a guy called Garth, he, you know, we, we had good figures, good management information, and they were timely as well. So we had to go, we used to have to go to Fleet Street to their special situations department every month um and we'd sit there in reception waiting to see the headmaster and uh in we went and uh yeah they could see we were making progress and and eventually i think we went into the cba with about three hundred fifty thousand pounds worth of bank debt which, which we did pay off um and and at that point we came out of that department and went back to our original banking partner and we went on to uh, to take more loans uh, from from the bank in the future. So, although it was tough, it was a, actually a good experience. And if you like, my tip is always have good management uh, accounts information, and then you've got credibility. They can see the progress you're making, and they will treat you, you know, well. So, in terms of the way you managed to pull through. Based on what you've said so far, it seems as though you have a very good, strong financial uh, teams, uh, which is why you come across very solid and very confident. But ultimately, how did you manage to pull through in such a big event? Uh, well, the shareholders were were, were very supportive. Um, I mean, they were all shareholders that I knew. Um, and uh, the key ones, we used to meet monthly so they could see that I, I was, you know, really trying to turn this business around um you know luckily it wasn't just me that was in trouble the world was in trouble um and if you like that actually made me personally feel better because if this had been you know there is a lot of personal um shame yeah there's an element of shame uh, a lot of the shareholders were friends so i felt that you know i was going to lose them their money 
Yeah, the other thing, which is, I, I, I dare not mention it. It was, it was probably one of the most important things. My wife, who had a totally different career, but had found herself getting made redundant uh, in 2009, decided to come and help me in 2009 in the summer uh, as we were doing the event catering. And um, uh, she left about eight years later because um, she made a huge difference. And actually, it was quite lonely running the business. So having uh, a partner at, at, at that level, and, and she taught me a lot of things as well. I was... Um, I was probably not the most um, uh, best at communicating with my team exactly where the business was going. I was very forward focused and not always bringing them along with me. And uh, I learned a lot from my wife. She had a very good BBC training. She really built some great teams. And um, yeah, there was a real yin and yang between us. Um, and it was a real success, actually. Some people say, oh, Frankie, that must be challenging working with your your wife, uh, uh, and I found it completely the opposite. Um, and the fact that we had young children, it also gave us that flexibility with with, with them as well. So, yeah, she was a key factor in, in, in the turnaround of this as well. I was successful enough to sell that business in, right at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. Um, and... Um, yeah, I sold it to an American company. So I created a burger business and sold it to the Americans, which I always found quite ironic and funny. Um, and uh, they asked my wife and myself to join that business. We, we'd actually we'd actually sold the event catering business about 2014 and got really focused on uh, train stations and exhibition centres. So, so running a business that was really good quality food, but in in, in uh, places where there was really captive audiences. And it took us a while to find that sweet spot. And once we found that sweet spot, we started to make good profit um, and really could invest in our teams as well. And, and we had a, a very successful little business, uh, but I, I, I wanted to de-risk myself. I think probably everything caught up with me and I realized we were in a great position we had enough time on our leases. We were making good profit. We were debt-free. Um, and at that point, I reached out to see if we could get any offers for the business. And we did. And we joined this company, big company, uh, American, reasonable base in the UK. Um, and, and yeah, they uh, they took the business on and, and we joined them. Uh, and it was quite, yeah, it was, in, it was an interesting time. It was good to go back into a big company, but actually we realised how, well, we run our business and uh, the benefits of running your own business and being your own boss. So um, my wife didn't stay very long. She, she stayed about 16, 17 months. It was a company that had a lot of hospitality and football. I like football, so I stayed maybe a bit longer than she did. Um, not just for that, but um, yeah. And eventually I came out of that business uh, in the um, in the pandemic. Uh, they made me redundant actually, uh, because their business got really badly hit. And that's then allowed me to go on and do some do some other things. Um, so, yeah, that kind of brings me up to kind of present day, really, where I'm now working. Um, I'm self-employed. I'm doing some consultancy um, work using my transferable skills uh, with a small business that's based in the US and the UK and is trying to grow and develop that needs more processes. And, and actually, I'm really helping with their management information. 
uh, financial management information because I know how important that is in the growth of businesses. Um, and I'm also, if you like, I've got a portfolio career. I, I'm, I'm discussing uh, the opportunity of bringing something that's been developed. It's a training uh, uh, course that's been developed in the US and it's very focused around conscious leadership and compassionate leadership. And that's an area that I'm really interested in because I think, you know, the world of work does need to change. People need to be valued more. People's purposes need to be recognised more. So, so yeah, I, I'm in another chapter of my uh, journey. And, uh, yeah, I've probably got a little bit more time on my hands than, I, than I've had for a little while, which is nice. Thank you, Robert. Um, let me get um, Anita, Anita into the conversation. Anita, you've heard what Robert has said in terms of his experience, his challenges, um, and also how he overcame those challenges. Now, from your experience uh, from debt recovery and management, what is your first impression of what you've heard so far from Robert? Obviously, having heard Robert, I just want to say well done for actually getting through that CVA. Uh, because I know a number of businesses don't actually get through them. And they're a fantastic thing when they're put together well and, and really thought through. And in my opinion, quite underutilised sometimes. But I also think that hospitality is taking a massive hammer in now, as is construction. And with with any solopreneur, small business owner, whether it's a limited company or they're just starting out, I actually think that that old saying, you don't know what you're going to need to know until you need to know it. And at that point, you've already experienced in many cases the pain point and where cash is concerned, cash flow and credit. Yes, cash is king. Sales is queen. Because they both complement each other. They have to be married, really, in your business. And yet so often they don't talk to each other. They don't work alongside each other. And I totally agree. A good support network and and being able to have someone who actually sometimes will tell you what you perhaps don't want to hear um, so that you can face those pain points before they get too bad. And... I think there's great fear as well when you first start out if sometimes putting too much attention onto one area. And in this country, let's face it, we're not brilliant about talking about money. We, do, we don't really open up about it. It's kind of under the floorboards kind of thing at the moment. And, yeah, it's so important, both in business and personal life. And one doesn't work really well without the other. You advise and support small businesses to recover uh, uh, their money. But in terms of um, looking at it from a bird's eye point of view, what other issues do you come across with small businesses? With small businesses across a broad spectrum of industry lines, because obviously there's the businesses that trade on payment at point of service. So they're not really giving credit, but they often don't fully realise that, for instance, they have obligations. What are their obligations as a director if they've gone limited? And it's so easy to go from sole trader to limited without actually taking those on board. And 
some of those obligations do actually interfere with debt recovery, um, especially in the higher amounts, because increasingly what we see is that the business hasn't got a good process in place, you know, terms and conditions, or they're not perhaps aware that they may have taken payment up front. I'll just use an example here of a training course provider who charges in advance for a number of sessions. So they take the payment up front and, and that's a comfort blanket because they've got the funds. But then being aware that the fact that if that training doesn't come up to standard or they can't make a session, potential claims against them for money back. And in an increasing world, I hate the fact that whenever we have bad times in the economy, I don't like using the R word, then fraud is on the increase. It always goes up. It's like, oh, the economy's down, the fraud's just come out to play. And that increases the amount of fraudulent transactions on credit cards, debit cards, and puts you at risk again. So I think it's a whole menagerie of things, but I think the biggest problem for me is where businesses do trade on credit. And let's face it, we can't get rid of it now. Within our businesses, credit is embedded. And to pull it out would literally take the tea service with the tablecloth. You, you just can't separate the two anymore. But I think it's a lack of an education piece probably somewhere in in the beginning when businesses are starting up and it needs to be in the toolkit at the beginning. So it's thought more about and and signposted better to where almost like a, a sort of problem-solving shop. So if you come across this problem, signpost to that direction. And instead of focusing on the sexy stuff, which to me is sales and websites and pricing and all the sales stuff is is much easier to get help with than the boring, the, the, the light switch off when you talk about the tax man and, and everything like that. So terms and conditions, in my opinion, are one of the best investments a small business can make. And referring problems sooner rather than later, the longer they're left, the harder it is for us to help solve them. And being more sort of working smarter in a better way, but how do you know what risks you're taking if you're not signposted to think about them? So in terms of, a, I suppose, a recovery of businesses and business-to-business recovery, in what way business-to-business recovery is different from business and consumer? Business-to-business is, <laughs> it, it's, it's more simplistic because there's not credit agreements involved and it's more terms and conditions and contracts. And because we've got the prompt payment code, which is voluntary, and not many people know it's there. And the late payment of commercial debts that we've got some legislation around there that we can use to help encourage prompter payment and to recover late payments. And it's easier in the sense that obviously you're dealing in many cases with a limited company. But having said that, the limited company has its own identity separate to the directors, but 
there's often a misconception about that because some people still think that directors should be liable for the company's debts and that opens up another can of worms entirely. But so traders equally and partnerships quite often on the flip side don't really realise where their liabilities start and end sometimes. So that affects the business-to-business recovery massively because now, and a simple example is that I can issue a seven-day demand or a 72-hour notice to a limited company of an intention to issue a winding-up petition or commence legal action. But with a sole trader, that's a 30-day letter. There's a massive difference between the compliance and the protocols involved, and that's so easy to get wrong within a business that's trying to manage that process themselves. I mean, you briefly talked about innocence of of recovery and options, but I mean, if we kind of look at not necessarily kind of one size fits all policy, but look at it kind of on a bird's eye point of view, what options are there for individuals to recover, uh, I suppose, beyond just going through a court process and the court has declared that, okay, you owe the money? Well, the first thing I'd, I'd always say to people is obtaining a CCJ. It's just a piece of paper that says, yes, we agree the other money. That does not guarantee payment. There's a lot more work goes into the process before that and after that. But money claims online, many people don't realise is actually the same as the small claims court. It is the small claims court. And another frightening stat that business owners don't realise, anything below £10,000 is classed as small. And if you have to defend a disputed action or anything on amounts below that, you're not going to get your costs back. And legal costs mount up very quickly. And if you want to be your own litigant in person and don't think you need a solicitor, then you have to have, to think on your feet, you have to know the system and you also have to make the time to attend. So you stand in your own costs, often not realising just how much time you're spending on it. And I think there's other routes to recovery. Payment plans, when done well and agreed properly, can avoid actually going through the CCJ process. And I think on smaller value debts, the temptation is there to jump straight into money claims online because let's face it, a lot of people will f- pay just out of the fear factor of, of getting that claim form. They won't actually check whether it's a valid debt. They won't check whether it's been served properly, but the higher the values go, the more p- attention it will get. And if a smart solicitor gets on it, I mean, you've not agreed to the protocols it's just going to be disputed and you're going to be stuck with that and have to sort it out and that's quite often the point that some of my cases have got to when they come to me so you know I know that one's often quite a difficult one to work with and in addition to that I think it's also beneficial at the moment in many cases to understand that if you're experiencing cash flow pressure, it's highly likely that a number of your customers are experiencing it as well. And so often payment plans will maintain a number of businesses 
all together because they're all dealing with each other on those payment plans. So I understand. Are you saying that when a small business is really on the verge of a crisis, is it really then worth even thinking about going for court process? Or isn't it just more money being spent at your end? I call it dirt flush Good money after bad down the toilet. That that's my own saying that I say to people because if you are trying to recover money from a customer, and let's put aside the amount, if they've already indicated that they're unable to pay the full amount, or they can't actually give a payment amount, or there is the fictitious dispute that that's been created to buy the time, then. The most important thing is to think how much of the money that you have in the bank can you afford to take as a risk on getting that money because there's no guarantee you're going to get it back. And by spending that, who might you not be paying? And also really think hard about whether the debtor ultimately actually can pay because there's a great kind of, I'm going to use the word stubbornness, but it's probably the wrong word, but sometimes it's very difficult for us as debt collectors to get the message through to our clients that the debtor genuinely does not have the funds to pay. So if we're we're stuck in the middle in those situations and people have not come to us, then they have to make that assessment themselves. Let me get... um... Ellis, uh, Kate, Kate Ellis into the conversation, the in-service practitioner. Um, Kate, you've heard what um, uh, Anita and Robert have said so far. So at what point then do we get uh, an insolvency practitioner involved whilst we know the cash flow is very tight? So it really depends on on the insolvency process that you're looking at. I mean, I think the, the, the my advice and is always to seek advice at the earliest opportunity. The earlier people seek that advice, the more options that they have available. Um, Taking liquidation, for example, there's two processes. There's a court process, a compulsory route, which is imposed upon a company by a creditor, for example, and winding that company up through a court process. The voluntary process is the, the business owners, the individuals themselves seeking that advice. So the earlier people come and seek that advice, the more options are available to them. Um, obviously, the later people people come, um, the, the the options are limited. And I think taken from from Robert's uh, experiences, you know, he he mentioned uh, emotions of, of fear and loneliness, and it can be a very lonely place to be. It can be a very fearful place to be, and to get that out there to say the early people seek that advice, you know. 95% of the time, you know, a lot of people, I hear it time and time again, I feel so much better now, I've come and spoken to you, I feel so much better now, um, you know, I've sought that advice and, and the advice of the professional help is out there, um, it's people come and seek that advice and it is, it's readily available that will help them through a process and and and, and give them that reassurance to, to get through the difficulties. You talked about, um, I suppose, compulsory and voluntary liquidation. Now, um, in what way would it be different between, let's say, um, personal insolvency and corporate insolvency? So, as Anita mentioned earlier, the, the there's a difference between that a corporate structure gives 
the director some form of protection. So that separates the like assets and liabilities of a company. Uh, sole traders, partnerships don't have that protection necessarily. So a, um, a, a personal insolvency is specific to that individual. So even if they are a sole trader, which is running a business, it intertwines their financial financial position with their personal finances, whereas a corporate structure, a limited company, separates that liability uh, from the directors, from the company, the directors in the company. So uh, at Ellis Breeze, we specifically deal with voluntary processes mainly. So a business owner or director would come and seek that advice voluntarily from us through recommendation, for example. So we would arrange initial meeting uh, with the business owner, with the director, discuss those issues that they've been having at some length and really be able to provide some advice at that stage as to which we believe the best course of action to be. Um, as I said, the, the earlier that advice is sought, the more options are normally available. It may well be after they've sought that advice at the time, an insolvency process isn't right for them. And, you know, that's the best outcome that they can glean the information that they need, the knowledge that they need from that meeting to continue on confidently. Uh, as Robert referred to earlier, you know, if you continue a business knowing that there is no prospect of, of repaying liabilities, etc., that can get directors uh, into issues with them personally from their conduct. So seeking advice at an early stage is never too early because if somebody comes and seeks that advice, they, don't, they can be then armed with the information to think, right, if this happens, I need to do X, Y, and Z. And just gives them the, gives them the confidence to move forward. Um, if alternatively an insolvency process is recommended, um, then obviously we would uh, work with the with the business owner, with the director to... Uh, to um, collecting the necessary information that we will need to to start the process. So at what at point what will point? you be looking into the balance sheet? Um, we'll look at the accounts of a, of a business, obviously, when we're giving that advice. I think, again, as Robert mentioned previously, the, the important things to mention are cash flows and management accounts. You know, the, the tighter rein that you have on the finances, you've got that knowledge to know what's going on at, at every point, monthly management accounts, quarterly management accounts. If you're looking at a balance sheet at the end of the year, you know, that could often be too late and that's going to really limit the options. If you can be on top of those and not just look at a balance sheet once a year, um, you know, it, it gives you that knowledge of, of what's happening at early stages. We usually talk about um, credit rating for consumers, but is there such thing uh, for small businesses? There is an equivalent, yes, as Experian for businesses, for example. Companies House uh, contains a lot of information um, on their credit safe uh, is another. You can obtain reports and credit checks and adverse information, that type of things. If you want to um, have a picture of, of a company that, you, that you're going to start working with or entering into, there are reports and reviews available um, for you to have a look at. Kind of going deeper into let's say insolvency and you've explored insolvency um as an, an option and i know robert gave a clear kind of um example how things work for him now usually what sort of things a creditor look at when when they see whether this business should ought to be going for insolvency 
from a creditor's point of view, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know, one thing is always that sometimes directors and business owners can really be surprised on how supportive creditors can be in the right circumstance. And I think from Robert's um, example, you know, that there are people that can be landlords, for example, leaseholders that can be, um, don't have a great attitude towards certain insolvency uh, procedures. But if you've had a long-standing relationship with a creditor, you know, business owners can be really surprised on how supportive people can be. You know, business owners have been through an extremely difficult time within the last three years. We've had coronavirus, Brexit, now the cost of living crisis. And people are um, understand that, you know, people, the, the creditors, static to that. And when a proposal is structured correctly, like Anita said and like Robert said, and once it's structured correctly, it is the right solution for the problem, then creditors can be incredibly sympathetic to that because some return to them in certain circumstances is better than the alternative, which might be nothing at all. Just on Kate's point, I think it's a really, really good point because I didn't lose, even though we ended up owing suppliers a lot of money, we didn't lose one supplier in that process because we were upfront with them a couple of them did come to the creditors meeting, which was when the, the um, CBA was decided, but they understood, they, they, they were also, as, as you've said, in the same business, struggling. And they also prag pragmatically wanted us to succeed because we would then keep our loyalty with them going forward. And that is the case. Nine out of 10, I, I worked with those same clients until the day I, I, I sold business. So I, I think everybody feels in it together. Um, they did lose some money. Some of them were insured, some of them weren't. Um, but it, it was, to Kate's point, really interesting because I thought that they deserters and they didn't. Lovely, thank you. Um, Kate, on a different note, um, we, we have seen that um, IVA, the option itself, it has been under scrutiny, especially how not, not necessarily for businesses, but consumers have been impacted by uh, a lot of the early termination of IVAs. What is your take on what Citizen Advice and other advice charities um, thought on making IVA part of FCA's remit? Financial the, authorities remit. Yes, the an IVA is a complex process, and it needs to be advised only in the correct circumstances. Um, you know, an IVA can last five years or more, and it's not a process to be entered into lightly. Um, having said that, you know, in the right circumstances, an IVA is a great alternative to bankruptcy, and it allows the individual to keep some control, um, a degree of control of the of the position. Um, in terms of the, the recent statement issued by the citizens' advice, I think it does identify obvious issues within the IVA market. Um, the regulators are working hard to stop false advertising and putting extra provisions in there for evidencing and the recording of advice given, etc., to ensure that all options have been explored and it's not just a, an IVA that's being um, recommended. And historically, there's been issues with a debt package of firms that aren't regulated, so they would... Uh, effectively recommend a resolution to an individual, sell that lead on to an insolvency practitioner, which comes with its obvious uh, issues from that. Um, I, I, personally, I would recommend, I would um, support the recommendation that pre-IVA advice is, is FCA regulated 
Um, you know, my advice for anyone seeking that is to always uh, seeking advice in in relation to an IVA or any insolvency process is to seek out a regulated firm. Don't respond to adverts or email phishing or contact. You do your own advice, look into it, get recommendations, you know, ensure that you're dealing with a proper practice, proper regulated Lovely. Um, for those who are listening to Debt Talk and you want to share your experience, you can get in touch with me on Twitter, your doctor debt, or email ripon.ray at yourdoctor.com. The subject we are speaking on Debt Talk in this month is you've guessed it already, I'm sure, um, small businesses and insolvency during the cost of living crisis. Let me now speak to my panel members and their top tips they want to share to small businesses to ease the pressure during the cost of living crisis. So let me start with Robert. It's a case of trying to negotiate, um, be uh, honest with your kind of suppliers where you are, try and uh, see where the best deals are. Um, I used to use energy brokers, um, and they could be quite useful. Uh, they would do the shopping around and, and get you kind of good deals. Um, one of the things that, cause I did have really good management information, uh, financial information in my, uh, business. I didn't keep it to myself. I used to engage all my unit managers and we used to have a monthly P and L meeting, which they were quite nervous of at first. Uh, but what it made them uh, understand was all the elements of the business. So not only the revenue, but all the little levers you could pull and push to actually save some money. Um, and, um, you know, where, where, the, where the costs were. And I think all of those people that have gone on to some good things would have taken a lot from that. Uh, it was their first exposure to the P&L. So... Yeah, try and involve your team, you know, in your business. Don't hold all the problems to yourself because they're actually on the front line and will often have the solutions um, rather than, you know, I wasn't on the front line. I wasn't working in the restaurants. Um, and that, that that would be good. And and we used to have one guy, uh, Shiro, his name was, and he was brilliant. He used to just always shop around for some of the deals from, JJ's and stuff because they'd have a special offer on milk every week or they'd have a special offer on um you know paper bags or, or whatever we were using and he, he was just a joy because he used to get something out of that because he was bought into the company uh so try and you know give people that uh room to really contribute and motivate them be honest with them be transparent uh and and uh, it paid off for me Lovely. So, Anita, what has paid off you in terms of your top tips? Top tips. Number one has to be terms and conditions. Really has to be. Um, and also, as a business owner, you may have invested redundancy pay, equity in the house, next year's holiday money. Think about what you've invested in, where you want to go, because it's very easy to become overwhelmed and stress, financial stress particularly, can build and build and build till it becomes almost something that, that you know you're going to you implode or explode. And so it's important to ask for advice from the right people 
but knowing who the right people are. So people who are properly qualified don't think that because someone comes from a professional services background that there's a big price ticket associated with advice. And it's important to remember that because quite often that is what a lot of small business owners perceive because corporate says big money in the SME world. And a lot of us have come out of the corporates and we're now in that SME world. And for me, I had to learn to speak another language. So, you know, it is about communicating. And if they have problems getting customers to pay, it's not all about, you know, being wary that they can't afford to pay a collections agent or a recovery specialist, but more can they afford not to? Because we might get a result quicker. But equally, think about the length of time, how many chances do you give someone to pay before you sort of say, I have to draw a line here. So it's drawing a line and then treating customers almost effectively in the same way rather than cherry picking and thinking, no, that's my best customer because your best customer is may not be the highest turnover, but it's the one that pays you on time. So you're actually getting paid for what you're servicing. And I think those are really important things to bear in mind. And to also think that you may be looking for advice in one area and a good accountant is a brilliant investment but an accountant that's proactive and not reactive. So a good person that's been around a while or even not so long, they will undoubtedly know reputable people that can help a business owner, if even if they can't themselves. And it's much better to ask directly than put a post out on social media and then get bombed by a load of names in a hat and not know where to go and do your homework about who you're going to do business with lovely thank you anita and finally kate um my top tips would be monitor your finances closely have a really good hand on where your business is at preempt any possible issues and have a plan uh, in place if possible reduce the cost and overhead where you can if you be, if you get into difficulty and don't be afraid to seek that early advice it's never too early the professional help is out there if you're not ready to seek that speak to friends or family or peers and share those concerns I think it's important for people not to bottle things up and not to, to worry about things alone I would like to thank Robert Anita and Kate for sharing their experience and knowledge on Debt Talk Podcast. Um, next month, I'm going to speak about funerals and debt um, during the cost of living crisis. Thank you for um, listening to Debt Talk Podcast with your Dr. Debt, Ripon Ray.